Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome. We are back with Molly Sonstang. Molly, thank you so much for being with us. We are so excited to have have you with us today. It's such an honor and a treat to be here. I, I, oh. I'm so delighted. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our little chat here. So I want to introduce our listeners to Cave Day, which is you are one of three co-founders in that, but that's not the only thing you do. You also run a company called Madcap. So give us a little bit of background on those two companies. Sure. I'll, I'll start with Madcap Factory so we can move on to Cave Day and spend okay. the bulk of the conversation there. Yeah. My husband and I started a production, we call it a production house uh, uh, called Madcap Factory. And the word Madcap is kind of an old word that's not used so much anymore, but it means amusingly eccentric. And we work with companies and brands to help them engage their audiences in creative and meaningful ways. So that can either be through an experience like a product we have called Inconspicuous Games, where we play secret field games like Capture the Flag in landmarks. So we were based in New York City and we would play, imagine playing Capture the Flag with your corporate team in secret in Grand Central. So that was I think one I product saw a that picture we, of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we also have a, a product called Small S'mores, which is everything you need in a tiny kit to make the perfect bite-sized s'more, including the candle and roasting sticks and all the ingredients and matches. It's all contained in one beautiful little canister. And it's the perfect, it's the perfect like stocking stuffer gift. So that's those are just some examples. And then we also do bespoke experiences with teams. And so that continues to go on through this crazy pandemic. Have you kind of had to figure out how to make sense of all of that? Obviously, the tiny s'mores were probably even more popular during the pandemic. But what about the larger scale live in real life events? Yeah, the s'mores have been a, a wonderful success, This, especially during the That's holiday awesome. season. We obviously are not leading any in-person experiences, um, but we have been working with teams to uh, design their galas and to make them a little bit more inventive and creative mm. uh, and working with with teams to do their to do their holiday parties and, and ways in which you know we can part you know boxing so yeah. gifting and yeah. how can we bring people together in a virtual experience do you think any of any of those things will continue to be the case after covid like that some people have been like huh we sort of like this virtual experience of a of a gala or let's just give out gift boxes and and see what donors give us back any of that will be the case i, I think in live events the whole industry has been disrupted <laughs> and yeah. but but it's also in, in kind of a beautiful way there's so many more possibilities than you know think about the conference industry there's so many more ways that we can engage with each other that are that are more meaningful. It takes creativity and flexibility and agility, but I think that it is possible. And we've seen yeah. some really awesome examples this year. Yeah, that's a great actual uh, transition into what you do with Cave Day. So tell us a little bit about that. Cave Day is a company that leads deep focus sessions for individuals around the world. And we are currently holding all of our sessions remotely. After a conversation with you, I had the good fortune of attending a, a cave do we call it a yeah, cave? Exactly. And and it was virtual, obviously. It was during the the pandemic. And was so surprised at I think I did a, what you guys refer to as a three hour sprint, right? A three hour cave. At, yeah. A, a three hour cave. I was so surprised at no one looked at their phone during the whole time. So we're all on Zoom. We're all watching each other. We're all seeing it. Is it on Zoom? Actually, I'm saying that. It is I'm held not on sure. Zoom is that, currently. Yeah. Yes. So many times I wanted to reach for my phone and I was like, I will not be shamed into <laughs> uh, feeling bad about this. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to reach for my phone. All these people are being so like deliberate with their time. I want to be a part of that. 
and was shocked at how quickly the time went and truly what I was able to accomplish just by putting down my phone and not looking at email alone, just those two things. Do you think that's sort of the secret to your success is having people feel the weight of that, of all those eyes on you and joining the this community to be productive together? Yeah, I think what might be helpful is to give a little taste of what the experience is yeah. and how it started, if I may. Uh, yeah. It, it started as an in-person experience where we designed it in New York City where folks would come. We took We actually took your phone away from you for the full session uh, and you would, individuals come with their own work. They come with their, whatever they're, they're we're really needing to focus on. And yeah. so everyone's, it's not a collaborative experience. You're all working on your own work. In doing so in the space of community, it's, it's remarkable how that power of other people around you, you know, you're, I'm not going to check my phone if you're not going to check your phone. I'm not going to open my email if you're not going to open your email. It's, right. it's this collective power. And even doing so remotely, you know, virtually, it's still, I do think it's still impactful. And there are a few other things. It's not just the putting your phone away and and not checking your email. And, you know, we've done a lot of work and and research in how to design the most effective three hours we could have. Yeah. And the the person who was our guide in that was really deliberate and intentional about the breaks and there was movement involved so that we were getting out of our chair, that we were there were mini breakout sessions that so we were all doing like an exercise together. And it, it again, it seemed so simple. And yet I never do those things that we all know are absolutely necessary. Exactly. What we've created is, is certainly not rocket science, uh, but it's, it's almost as if we took all of the tips and tricks we all know and these, you know, the top five ways to clean your inbox, the top 10 ways to stay productive in 2021. We know that, but it's really challenging to actually sit down and put them into practice. But when you have other people around you, even virtually, and you have a facilitator who's basically saying, okay, we're going to start now, and I'll tell you when it's time to take a break, then we stand up, we take a break together, we do a, a lighthearted activity, we go back in, we come up for a break, and we go back in. So it's the, the, there are three sprints within the three-hour cave, which I think you were mentioning. And, and then we have a few, a few chances where folks can take a pause, stretch their body, get to see each other a little bit more, connect a little bit more deeply, yeah. and then go back to work. And how did you and Jeremy and Jake come up with this? So those are your co-founders. What, I mean, you talked about it being an in-person experience and you gathered some of your friends, I think, at first, right? But what, yeah. what sort of motivated this idea? So initially, Jeremy, uh, my partner Jeremy, had the idea of he was taking his own personal cave days where he would be by himself, almost lock himself in a room and dive deep on, on work that required you know, no distractions of any kind. And it felt pretty lonely for him to do it that way. So he, he pulled us together. Jake and Jeremy and I were all friends, uh, new friends, uh, but, but we had all put out a lot of work in our lives and we kind of looked at our own output and our own tips and what what do we do that we could put together for a group of our friends and just have an ex, uh, an experiment where we we are, we started with 8 hours it was an 8 hour day where we provided all the food and beverage you know we took the phones away we led them in these sprints and then the the output was was really quite shocking in how much you yeah. can get done when you when you remove distraction yeah. What do you think, and I've done a little bit of homework, so I've seen some of the, the tips that you've talked about in various interviews that you've done and on the, the Cave Day site, but what do you think is, were you surprised to find is the number one distractor for people? What am I surprised by? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised by uh, <laughs> by the phone. Or, yeah. you know, notifications on your, I mean, those are the easiest things you can remove. And I think I'm, I'm surprised by our own internal doubts or distractions. Hmm. So you're, the fear of not getting enough done, the fear of not your work not being good enough. And, you know, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. You know, wanting to, to, to make, it, it's so hard to get started. But once you start, you can just let it just flow. And I think that there's a lot of, I, I was surprised to learn how hard it was for folks to just 
get past that barrier. Yeah. But once yeah. we, if we provide the space to just just get going, then the rest can just come out. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I also <laughs> felt in my own experience that because I was paying for this time, that somehow it was more sacred, <laughs> that it was like I had to be really intentional with it. Is that all by design? I mean, it's a business. So, of course, you needed people to be paying. But was that part of what you found in your going from an experimental phase into a Hmm, this could really be a business. Was that transaction? I, well, I will, I will say that we we charged at the very beginning. It was never a free experience. Um, but think about it as a a gym membership for your work. Yes. Right. Like we we talk about how the the, the cave often feels like a group fitness class, but for your work. You know, I, I myself, I st- I don't I don't work out unless I have even even in in the pandemic. I I need to do a class that's scheduled at a time. For me to in order to really show up and do it, um, and this is this is very similar. You're being it's it's another way to hold yourself accountable to do something. Yeah, I I love that, and I think that so many of us, even prior to the pandemic, fi- found ourselves working alone. You know, the writers, the freelancers, the solopreneurs. But you also had uh, an offering to businesses, right? You were going in and working with companies to hold cave days for their teams. Is that correct? Yep, that is correct. And we are still doing that. Okay, that was my next question. Are you still doing that? So you're holding Zooms for various companies and creating that space for the entire company or particular teams within a company? It depends Depends. on what the needs, needs of the company are. And I actually think it's quite meaningful to work with a whole team or the full company, and um, our individual events—that's our—that's our primary product, where where folks can come on their own. It's you know it's a public membership, but when you can get a room full of people of, of your colleagues, yeah, even a Zoom room, everybody having their 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 Slack turned off, their meeting shut off, but they're still there showing up to do the work that they are working on together. It's it's I think it's helping combat meeting culture. You know, like it's yeah. so hard to get, it's so hard to get work done when you have a meeting at ten and then another one at eleven thirty, maybe a coffee date, and when are we meant to, to actually sit down and do the the important versus the urgent work? Right. Do you guys in some of the caves you do with companies or with organizations, do you incorporate some of their sort of what what's on their to do list, or is there somebody co facilitating from the company that says? We're all working on the, you know, 2021 marketing plan. Is there anything like that? Yeah, it, absolutely. So when we first meet with the with the company, we'll we'll ask, you know, what what are you hoping for? What are you working on? What are your goals? And then we design sort of a, a engagement copy deck with them so that they can yeah. introduce the concept to their team. So it's not just you know Thursday at 2 p.m. We're all going to show up on this Zoom for three hours and you're going to work. Yeah. There needs to be a little bit more of an introduction and an easing into this kind of experience. Sure. And then for the rest of the world, for those of us who don't work for companies and teams, did you find that the appetite for Cave Day grew during the pandemic? Hugely. We've, we've, yeah. seen, we've seen incredible growth uh, since March, and the three of us don't take that for granted at all. We know we are very lucky to, you know, to be in the position where we've seen, uh, seen, seen our membership grow in such a beautiful and organic way. And, um, you know, many, many companies have not, not been so lucky. So we, we see that. Yeah. Um, when the pandemic hit and we were all asked to stay at home, uh, it was pretty obvious that most of us didn't have the skills we needed to effectively work from home. Mm. And we had this service Cave Day, we launched our remote offering over two years ago. So while we were doing in-person experience, the three three hours in person in New York and LA and Denver, we also had this remote membership that was growing on its own. And when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh, here's this thing that is available to the world. And so we have members from over 24 countries uh, and 38 sessions a week now. And it's, you know, adding more we've seen more growth in Europe and it's it's pretty remarkable that this is 
it's not just for the solopreneur or the person who's a mm. freelancer. It really can be for any person who is a, a knowledge worker that needs to sit down and, and focus. Oh, I like this term knowledge worker. What does that mean exactly? So a knowledge worker is someone who's who's working primarily, you know, seated at the desk on a machine like this, on a, on a laptop or a computer, you know, different than like a factory worker. Sure. Um, or retail. Precisely. Yes. Exactly. Got yeah. it. I like that. Okay, I'm going to incorporate mm-hmm. that in my next conversation. <laughs> I would say the next cocktail party, but I'm, I won't be doing that anytime soon. So this season, we're focusing on pivot stories. And yours is interesting in that there wasn't a pivot in terms of the type of work you were doing. It was expanding what you were already doing and offering it to audiences outside of the three cities you were already in. Is that primarily what happened? Yeah. So uh, yeah, as I said, we were we were kind of in a good position to make an easy pivot. So yeah. we quickly stopped all of our in person ex- in person events, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and we were only running. I can't remember exactly how many. I want to say three virtual or remote sessions a week. Wow. And now we're up to thirty eight. So the pivot was was pretty seamless. Mind you, we were heads down working, and and I like to use the analogy of that Indiana Jones scene where you know he's running and there's the boulder coming at coming down, and we yep. were just had to keep had to keep going. You know, every two week sprint, something new, just keep 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 ahead of that boulder. And, yeah. But we were already set up to to offer this. It wasn't something that we had to design or create. But for you, the boulder wasn't uh, to your point. It wasn't a new idea, but scaling that quickly and putting in infrastructure and headcount that quickly is an enormous task. Were you guys at all prepared for it? Were you surprised at how easily it came together, no matter how many hours of hard work you had to put in? Or what? where was the heavy lifting for you all? I will say that I am very lucky to work with such great partners where we mm. are all rolling our sleeves up and you know, we're, we're a small business and we're entrepreneurs and we're like, we have to wear many hats all the time. And two of us have small children. And so the balance of that as well with working from home, that I think was the the biggest challenge is how to learn how to be in, you know, be working from home all the time, but also be growing a business and growing a small child, at least for me. (laughs) And I can't speak for both of my partners, but can you remind me of the of the, the initial question. Yeah, I was just talking about where the heavy lifting was for you mm-hmm. guys having to scale so quickly that for many, the pivot, that term represented coming up with a new idea. But for you guys, the idea was there. It was just growing this online mechanism, this machine that had to go from right. three to 38. So I think the the biggest challenge was expanding the schedule. So yeah. how, do we, how do we get en- enough sessions on the books that can accommodate different time zones yeah. uh, and how do we have enough how we need to get enough facilitators that are really and train train facilitators that are not just sitting there saying okay work okay stop yeah. <laughs> but but it's but we really take our training seriously and you know they are holding this space and um, even though there's not a lot of there's not a lot of like traditional facilitation but it is sure. we take that role very seriously and um, so I think that was that was probably the challenge, most challenging part at the beginning, at least. And I assume because you had people from different time zones wanting to take classes and perhaps not facilitators teaching classes in those time zones that maybe you were doing some late nights or early mornings. You know, we've been really lucky with facilitators being, um, you know, we, we're not, we don't have a 24-hour clock. We're not right. operating sessions at 2 a.m. Eastern or anything like that. Right. Not yet, at least. <laughs> um, working towards that twenty-four hour clock, uh, yeah. but we do have facilitators that are at different kind of different stages of their own lives, so they're a little more willing to be flexible, which is so great. And I'm so lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, that is really great. So you mentioned the the idea of entrepreneurs wearing lots of hats. Did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? Was this a kind of a surprise to you? I mean, you have two companies, so I assume this was something you were being intentional about. Short answer, no, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I studied classical music as a as a college student. Uh, wow. I was an opera singer. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. And then went into music education, 
got a master's degree in educational leadership and really wanted to work in the music conservatory world. And then I, I, I don't know if I've told you this story. And then I, I no. kind of woke up one day and realized that I, I couldn't really distinguish one day from the next or week or month. And it was just, I was working an administrative role within a music conservatory, even though I, I still cared about it and I wanted to make a difference, but I just, I knew that I could add more value to the world. I didn't know what that looked like. So I, I quit. I don't recommend doing that without having a plan, but I quit <laughs> and just started saying yes to all kinds of different things. And that's, that's how Madcap was initially born, was all of these different ideas that I had and that my husband had, we sort of put them together and started throwing ideas out there. It was a factory. It was a factory of amusingly eccentric ideas. Uh, and that's how I initially first met uh, Jeremy and then uh, Jake as well. And that's how Cave Day came. I love that Madcap actually became an incubator for all these ideas that probably led you not only to Cave Day, but will continue to lead you to explore things and just start. You talked about how people don't just start, how difficult it is, and how I know as a consultant and I know within Liberty and our membership, and, you know, we've talked a lot to people in our network, and that's such... It's, it's almost painful. And what a brilliant thing to, by design, say, this is a space where we create things, we start things, and we don't consume ourselves or, or worry ourselves too much with outcomes. Because it can't be a, a factory of ideas if we don't put those things forward. I love that that was, and, and that the outgrowth of that is where you are now. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and it will continue to be, you know, we, we can yeah. play with something that's so small. And if it turns out into if it turns into something bigger, great. If not, it was a one time thing. Also great. Okay, I, there's I, a, a marriage of, of cave day and madcap. There's <laughs> got to be a cave day for ideas where people can just come and spill all their crazy ideas. Hmm. And you can just say to them, yeah, this is what this space is designed for. This is intentional. Brilliant idea. Yeah. <laughs> No, I do think that that is uh, that is one one of the greatest things about how Cave Day started. We didn't initially intend to start a business. That wasn't that wasn't part of our story, yeah. you know. And and it it really became a business because we we heard the audience, we heard the community say, "This yeah. is this is really working. We need more of this." And we all know that businesses that do well are businesses that you know fill a gap. And you guys yeah. obviously did that. A gap we didn't necessarily know we had, which is, I think, part of the brilliance. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of, because we have this listening audience who is very much uh, concerned with all things productivity. And obviously, we want to invite them to check out Cave Day. I think that would be really fun. But I'd love to hear from you as well. Like, tell me about that Cave Day experience for the user, for the listener, and how they might experience that. And then also just for you, what you guys are intentional about. Like when you first started and you did the live one, what did you become more and more intentional about when you created the cave so that the user experience could be something that was so focused? I, I think that, isn't that your tagline? Like we're the most focused company or community. something like that. The, community. the most focused yeah. community in the world. Yeah. I love it. It's a great tagline. But but tell me about that, like that process of you creating this, because it could have gone a few different directions, right? I mean, cave day could still be a cave day, but you could be focusing in, like something that's micro facilitated versus this much more open holding space kind of thing. What in the process of creating that, of creating the cave day as it is today, what, what did you learn that became the thing that really helped people to be productive? Yeah, it took, it, it's taken years to, to get it to where it is today. You know, we started as we've all had experience as facilitators and producers, but it took a lot of research. Uh, yeah. And from that first, from that first, ex first event we ran, we learned so much in, in what works and what doesn't. But not only were we doing research in the sort of in the field, if you will, and um, how we were, you know, tweak constantly tweaking, tweaking how it felt as a, as a participant, but also 
reading and gathering as much information as we could and reading books like Deep Work uh, by Cal Newport and reading books by when, uh, by Daniel Pink called When. Like, when are the best times of day to be doing what kinds of work? Mm. What does deep work mean? What are the benefits of deep work? So we're, we're constantly gathering information and we still, we still are doing that. And um, so we design the experience to feel good and be a place where you're around other people, but it's a, a space where deep work is possible. So our sprints, for example, are, are between 40, uh, 40 and 52 minutes long. It's very specific. We don't tell the participant how long those sprints are because we want you to get lost in your work. We want you to just dive in. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of the Pomodoro Technique. Yes. Which is a, a 25 minute oh. on, five minute yeah. off. That's, that's a great technique if that works for you. And we're, we're, we support that. And, but we design our sprints to be this, we want you to get into flow and not look at your clock and say, oh, I've got two minutes left. I can quickly go do something easier or check my email or fall into some sort of scroll of social media. Rather, we pull you out around 40 to 50 minutes and, and you just know that that's coming and we'll ding a soft bell and then we pull you out for, for a, a short break. So that is known as Kairos time versus Kronos time. So just to get a little technical real quick, Kronos time yeah. is time that is measured in seconds and minutes. And that's what would be more like the Pomodoro style. Whereas Kairos time is time measured in moments or experience. And we want you to just get lost in your flow and we hold the time for you. Wow, I love that. And I we're, we're gonna have to have all that in the show notes because I can imagine a lot of people wanting to reach for those books and understand those definitions mm -hmm. and and even just be mindful of what is flow for them. Like when do they reach sort of optimal flow? Is that different for each person or is it kind of more universal? It is different for each person and it's different for each person and it also is different on the kind of work you're doing. It's different for the kind of the time of day you're working. And um, so if you're needing to do more uh, like analytical work, work with numbers, things that, that are really sort of difficult and challenging, we recommend that, not we, it is recommended yeah. to do that kind of work first thing in the morning when you're sharpest. Generally, generally we are more sharp in the morning. Then when you need to do more sort of creative or brainstorming um, or writing, that can tend to be in the afternoon. Um, and, and also that helps with meetings too, like knowing what kind of meeting you're, you're scheduling. If you yeah. are presenting, if you can do that in the morning versus in the afternoon, it really does help with how the meeting can flow. It's, it's probably a good thing for all of us to know about ourselves before we mm -hmm. go into those situations, right? But, but I will say one more thing. So it's while we can't just snap our fingers and get into flow, you can sort of create the conditions for flow. And that's what we try to do for, for Cave Day. So the first is, I'll just really quickly define these. Yeah, the first is please. defining your work. So before you open up your computer, before you, you just, just jump right into email, know exactly what it is you're, you're trying to work on that day. What, how will you approach that work? If you're writing, what are you, are you, are you outlining? Are you doing the research portion? Are you writing 750 words? Know what finished looks like for that specific project. The next is time. So actually blocking off a, ca a chunk of time in your calendar. Mm -hmm. um, and the last is, is focus. So removing distractions, turning notifications off, putting your phone away. If you're working from home and you have other people that you're sharing your space with, telling them, you know, I'm going to be working, quote unquote, in the cave. So this is this is my protected time. So again, definition, time and focus, those can help you jump into flow more quickly. And you guys even have those cool cave, I'm in the cave markers that you sell on your website that I love. Yeah, I, I also just that. I also just had these these coins made. I know the audience can't see these, but and these are these really great like challenge coins and um, that I'm really no. happy about. Our, we are actually, this will, this live video will be um, available for all of our uh, oh, live, our, our, our audience members. So hello. I'm Great. sorry. I should have told you that. That's okay. Um, so they'll be able to see that. Great. So um, one of the things that, and, and I didn't transition us very well because we were talking about all things uh, pivoting and cave day um, synonymously, but when you guys thought about transitioning from, or not really transitioning because you already had the digital experience, but what did you need to maintain or hold on to as you were pivoting by scaling, not by changing the business? What did you really work hard to maintain in the digital space 
that you thought, oh, are we going to lose this? Like so much of this, whatever this is, happens when people are in a room together. For me, it's all in the facilitation. Mm. It's the 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 script, the, the the sort of general script that we designed and and work with our facilitators on. It seems very simple. It is very simple, but it's very specific and thoughtful. It's timed pretty specifically too. So at what point do we actually start the first sprint? How quickly can we get them into work? Because sitting on Zoom for 10 minutes, waiting for people to, to have a check-in and say, I'm working on this today. How do we quickly, how do we make it feel spacious for the audience, for the, for the participants? But as a facilitator, keep it really quick so that you yeah. can get right into your work. Because in, in person experience, you're around each other, you've got you you've got that, you've got that transition time where yeah. we've totally lost that transition time, you know, these days. We've lost our commute as well. We don't have that. We're just sitting down and starting to work. So how do we make it feel spacious, but also really efficient, timely, you know, efficient in our time? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And it's, um, it's. I mean, I I think it. there's a benefit to that for the user in that it's so efficient. But I think, yeah, you have to pay attention to, are we losing anything in that in that process. And I'm assuming that there are people listening who are trying like so many right now to pivot, to understand what the pivot is. And part of why I wanted to ask that question was to help us understand that sometimes we're hanging on to things because it's just the way we used to do business. And sometimes they're core to what our offering is. So when we look at pivoting, and we're trying to figure out if it's a 180 or if it's a 15% sort of, uh, or 15 degree pivot, we're trying to figure out what is core to this business, what is a real value for the user, and what's something that we can shed, even, even if it was primary at one point to our business, it may not be anymore. What would you say those things are? What advice would you have to our listeners in terms of distinguishing what's important, what gives value or brings value to the user versus what you think you have to hang on to because it was the original idea. So I'll first answer kind of how Cave Day approached that. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at what our, what our product is, we run three hour or one hour sprints for virtual deep focus sessions. But if we, if we really want to be agile and flexible for how the world will continue to change, that's, not, that's, that's what we offer. But what we are is we are a company that is offering focus as a service. And mm. that, that, you know, that's a, a new sort of category that we're wanting to be, uh, that we're wanting to see more, more folks come into that kind of, into, the, into this space. We are seeing more folks come into this space. Um, but focus as a service is a new category. And how can we continue to be on top of that as the world will continue to change. We don't know what 2021 looks like. Mm-mm. You know, we don't know what, we know. 10 years from now, we have really have no idea. But if we look at from, from the lens of the bigger picture, how do we stay agile and remain with that focus as a service category? And then we can be less stuck in the really narrow head down. We offer, yeah. we offer daily work sessions for three or one hours, you know, right. three hours or one hour. And I, so, I, yeah. I love that. Sorry to interrupt, Molly, but I love that. And I think it's key. I just want to mark the pin mm-hmm. what you just said, because mm-hmm. I think really understanding not the manner in which we package our offering, but really understanding what our core offering is, is so key. I think what you're what you're saying right now is what will be the difference between those who successfully pivot, those who decide that it's time to close doors and to start something altogether new and those who know to which degree or to what degree they need to pivot and go yeah. ahead. I don't want to cut you off because no. I can tell you are on a roll. No, no, exactly. But, but I think that that is that, that I was just, I, I was saying that that was how, how cave day has been looking at it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think ultimately it, it's not getting so s- sucked into the minutia. Mm-hmm. The minutia needs to happen. You need to continue running from that boulder at the same time, really looking up look you know look at look looking from a higher from a higher perspective looking down at what you what your whole company is and the direction of the world and what is your community asking for if you are working with if you have you know if you're offering products or you work with the community what are the people that are using your services 
asking for and how can you stay true to what your core is but also mm. listen to what the world needs and just be sort of responsive and elastic at the same well those can often be one and the same well while maintaining your your principles yes yeah yes mm-hmm. yes let me ask you a question that i meant to ask you earlier on cuz i am i'm so aware of what this must have been like for you so you're a mom of a one year old two, two and a half two, two and a half year old yeah i saw the the article in medium on the baby food that you were making. So oh. I didn't know how old that article was. Oh my goodness. Um, I love that you yeah. saw that. <laughs> yes, I did. So there so you have your you run a business with your husband over here. You're a founder of Cave Day over here. You're also a facilitator within Cave Day. So you're working on the company and in the company. You have all these facilitators that you are working to manage and to keep afloat and you are married and you are living for a short time, moving from your Brooklyn home to Minneapolis, living with your mother-in-law for a minute, just now settling in for a long minute, right? I think it was yeah. a seven or eight month minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've, you, you've permanently moved, at least in the short term, to Minneapolis, um, supporting, you know, a relationship with your partner. That's a lot. That's a lot that's going on. And I think that you represent what so many women have had to manage, so many women who've had to become part-time teachers during this time. I'd love to hear from you two things. One, how do you, what do you want to say to those women as a, as a woman who's running a business and managing all the things? And then two, is Cave Day somewhat of a solution for some of this in the, I mean, you say you're in the focus category. You guys are sort of in the wellness category too. So I'd love to hear from you on on those two points. Love that. First of all, to all women and yeah. mothers, I see you and I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> this has really come down, this year has really come, 2020 has come down on, on women uh, especially hard. Uh, and I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm exhausted. And I'm very activated and engaged. And I think that I am a person that kind of thrives in the overwhelm, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something about that, you know, I've I've taken on that societal role of, can she do it all? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And I hate that that I'm trying to prove that I can because I'm really tired. I do. I'm a huge champion of a, a daily nap. And, and I, I do t- <laughs> I do take a nap almost every day. That's one of my biggest awesome. uh, biggest ways of staying on top of everything. Um, short one, like a 10 to 20 yeah. minute nap. Um, but exactly to your point, Cave Day has, has really, not only has it been wonderful for me to work on as a founder, but as a participant, I couldn't do everything that I'm doing if I didn't have Cave Day. And I, I, mm. it sounds kind of silly or cheesy, but I, I, I really believe in the product so much that I, there's, I couldn't possibly have so much output if I didn't have cave day to help keep me on track. And if I work three hours a day in the cave, the rest of my time can be spent doing other things that I care about, being with my family, being with my child, you know, cooking, whatever else I, I, I want to do. Sure. Sure. And we've we've heard so much about the value of really productive time versus just the busy time. Like, We've valued for too long the I've been at my computer for 12 hours. And it's like, but what did you actually do? Yeah. What did you actually versus accomplish? Productive. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. and I'm guilty. No, yeah. you're, <laughs> you just who, said it. Who isn't? I mean, busy versus productive is is such a trap. And we, it's almost like we would one up, we wanted to one up each other on who is more busy. And frankly, yeah. I'm I'm just really bored of that. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not good for us. It yeah. just isn't. It, so sounds, how can, yeah. it sounds almost uh, ignorant or naive at this point. Like we know too much. Uh, yeah. We know too much about what it means to take care of ourselves. It's, a, it's an easy trap to fall into. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will say that. But we do know too much. You, um, as part of Cave Day, I think I saw it, but you guys refer to, and I'm losing the term. I didn't jot it down, but it's something similar to um, a one concept, one thing at a time concept. Monotask. Do you know the term? Yes, monotask. monotask. Thank you. I can't yeah. find it in my notes, and I and I knew it was a good one. Uh, I think we can assume what it means, but what does yeah. it what does it mean to you? Absolutely. So, multitasking is is kind of a myth. 
you can you can multitask if you are, you know, doing the dishes and listening to a podcast. Sure, sure, you're you're multitasking, <laughs> but multitasking yeah. in your work isn't isn't really possible. What in, what you're actually doing is task switching. So you've got task number one, you're working on it, and then you quickly switch over task number two before you finish task number one, and you've got you actually what that's called is attention residue. So you're bringing a little bit of your attention from unfinished task number one over into task number mm. two and your attention you're not 100 in either one of your tasks and so it's really hard to not multitask so there's this busy versus productive and then i think that the other thing is monotask over multitask so we have become really good at we think at multitasking and being this ping pong ball and keeping all the balls in the air that's not really doing meaningful work rather how can you put all the balls down just do one thing, truly one thing at a time. It's it's not the way that we have been trained. We are our our, yeah. our culture kind of promotes shallow work. These you know yeah. juggling all the things at all all the time, but put them down. Focus on that one big project that requires blinders and dive in. You know, there's it's not not all work is deep work. Sometimes you need to just do the emails and schedule the meetings and do the administrative tasks, of course. But maybe don't do that right away. The first the first part of your morning, rather start with right. that hardest thing first, and then you can do the other things that don't require so much brain power. Is there a time um, where we should be focused on that? I, I think you said that, that morning time is that sharpest time, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And that's often when we sit down at our computer and go through our emails. Is there a time that's better to go through the emails? And how do we train all of the people that send us emails to expect emails from us later in the day or you know a couple times a week versus instantaneously the training the your training your colleagues is one thing training training clients is really challenging clients client sure. you know it's external you don't really have much control over that if you can communicate how you are starting to approach your inbox with your team that's one thing and this this expectation of responding in less than 24 hours it's it's i think it's pretty damaging um depending on the industry i know some industries really sure. do that this is this is a generalization sure but i do think that training yourself is really challenging so how do you not sit down and do it's easy it feels really good it feels so good to sit down and get knock some emails out but you're not really doing deep or any kind of it's not really work it's just managing it's maintaining your email right. and so we recommend actually just checking your email once or twice a day and putting that in your calendar. So maybe rather than doing it right at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, can you wait to check your email until 10 and really spend that first first hour of your day doing that thing that you really just need to get done? How good would that feel to have that thing off yeah. your plate? Then you can do the, the other stuff. And have an, a victory early in the day. Precisely. Well, <laughs> be a great win. So um, it's rare that we get somebody who is one of three founders. And anytime I have any partnerships um, on the podcast, I always talk to them about the difficulty of three relationships um, that you're managing, three people generating ideas, three people with a different vision for what the, the you know, two years from now could look like, never mind the, the immediate thing that's on fire. What would you, I'm not going to make you say anything about Jeremy or, or Jake, but what would you say to those people listening as they consider partnerships, as they consider if they have a company and they're looking to do uh, even a long-term collabor uh, collaboration with somebody, what are some things that you've learned that you would say, pay attention to to these things? Transparency is hmm. key. Uh, I I do feel really lucky that I work with two men who are very able to uh, connect as a human, and re we really see each other as as individuals and our and our whole selves. So what where might they be coming from in their day? Being very transparent. If there's something that needs clearing, we do that at the top of a meeting. We ask each other how we're doing. And we have what we call a friend check-in at the beginning of our meeting. So just 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 to know, like, where are you coming from today? And and it's it's really easy as humans when when especially during a pandemic when there's so many things that are causing stress. But you show up to a meeting and 
my partners have no idea what my day is. I'm just coming yeah. to this meeting. And if I don't, if I don't say it out loud, then how are they going to know? And if I'm, if I'm triggered by something, I need to voice that right away. And we have gotten really good. I think even in the beginning, we were really good at communicating, but even in this pandemic, we've been meeting more regularly and really practicing uh, our transparency. I, I love that. Any, I don't want to cut you off from this because it's an important one. Anything else that you would add as people consider partnerships? Let me ask you a practical one. Did you guys have a partnership agreement? We do have a partnership agreement. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's yeah. what I wanted you to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody should have a partnership yes. agreement. Yeah. That was, that was established early on. Good. Anything else that has been important for you in in that in managing that either before maybe a best practice based on something you did wrong like oh make sure in the beginning you guys do this or as time passes make sure you revisit those things that are most important to you all like do you have annual meetings or quarterly meetings we do we we have quarterly meetings and it's sort of a year end meeting we're we're currently in the middle of of a year-end retreat that have, has to be separated on different days, but we're, we're in the middle of our annual retreat right now. Um, and we have these quarterly meetings where we get to have that time where we zoom out and just be a little bit more spacious and, and dreaming a little bit more about, about the company and not so focused on the, the day-to-day. Um, I think that we have, the, the way you est- establish your meetings as a, as a team, as a partnership, is, is pretty critical. Mm. So how many times a week do you want to be meeting? How long are your meetings? Do you have an agenda for your standing meetings? That has really helped us, especially in, in the time of Zoom fatigue, knowing exactly what is our goal for today. Getting, I mean, I think a lot of companies have had to do that. We're not, we're not new to that, but meeting culture, as I've already said, is, is pretty damaging. Um, so if you can be effective in the way that you communicate and collaborate with your partners is, is super important. Yeah, I think that's key. I love that. So before we get to our fast five, mm-hmm. I just want to ask if you have anything that you'd, any parting words of wisdom for all those um, entrepreneurs that are listening and want to be entrepreneurs. A lot of people tune into our podcast because they're kind of considering their own possibilities and, and what's next for them. It's funny, you. I have my notes up and you pulled out something before of exactly what I wanted to say, um, which is just start. That is that mm-hmm. is like my my biggest piece of advice is to just start. If you have an idea, awesome, do something with it. It doesn't mean you have to make a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to, it really it could be it could be anything. If you want to start doing gatherings, let's say we are in a world where we can yeah. gather people, even if it's on Zoom, you you know you practice once. Just have a one one off event. Just do one thing. If you want to do a podcast. See what it feels like to record something. You might hate it. You might love it. And maybe it's just a one-time thing. But if we don't put our ideas into motion, it doesn't really matter. So just start and start really small. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. I love that advice. And I think that's as simple as it is and as basic as it is, I think it's the, the highest hurdle for many people to overcome. It's really difficult. There's... I think uh, some imposter syndrome in there. Mm-hmm. I think there's some, I don't know who do, you know, who do I think I am? I think uh, there's overwhelm, whether it's technology or whatever. And starting small is the best way to combat a lot of that because it just, you know, do what you can with what you have yeah. and then go from there. And you're a great lesson in that with how you guys started up with Cave Day and I would say even with Madcap. Um, yeah. That was, that was, it was great to, to kind of hear that come to life, like, oh, that there's an aha there. Like if uh-huh. we all had permission to do that, that'd be great. Okay, Molly, I'm going to ask you five quick questions and just whatever comes to mind. We'd love to hear great. it. It's a way to get to know you a little bit. Uh-huh. So what's the number one trait do you, that you think an entrepreneur should possess? Flexibility. Mm. Flexibility in all things in life or in the business? In the business. Okay. And then number one app that you use for your business? I use Notion. I'm not sure if we can consider that an app, but Notion okay. is a uh, it's a service where you – it's, an, it's a, a task management organization. Okay. You can use it with Teams, almost like an Asana or Trello, but 
notion yeah. has been game changing for us. Oh, good, good, good. We mm-hmm. we used Asana for a while um, for the podcast, actually. So nice. we'll check out Notion. Yeah. What was the first task you hired out when you finally had a little bit of money in the business? A really quality PR team. Oh, good. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, and that was that for uh, Cave Day specifically? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then this is a hard one and may tell if you're an East Coast or West Coast person, but Red Vines or Twizzlers? Twizzlers. <laughs> oh, Molly, we were tracking until this. <laughs> um, I actually, when I moved to New York City, my California friends would send me red vines. I, I mean, red. I grew up in Minnesota. But red vines weren't here. Like, oh yeah, we didn't have them yeah. here. Yeah, we, and I, we, I worked I, with what I had. You know. Yeah. Let's <laughs> still be we, friends. Yeah. Let's 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 let's. And then last question. Obviously, our uh, podcast is Liberty. Our website, everything of, of that we do is based on this concept of liberating um, women to really pursue their ideas, pursue their ventures, and and be liberated as a result. What does it mean to you to be liberated? It's pretty specific, but having ownership of your time. Hmm. Time is our, is our most finite and shared commodity. And if we have ownership of it, then I think that is the meaning, you know, we don't always, we don't always have, I don't have all ownership of my time, but the more and more I can have more flexibility and, and I'm in charge of my time versus someone else telling me when I need to do things, when, what things are due, that to me is liberation. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story about uh, starting up Cave Day. We're excited to direct all of our listeners over to Cave Day. And let's talk about doing something where we can invite our listeners into a a cave. I think they'd really benefit from it. Thanks for being with us. And of course, listeners will have all the goodies that Molly shared with us in the show notes. So stay tuned for that. Head over to our website, uh, libertyforher.com for that. And we'll have all of Molly's handles and every way that you need to get a hold of her uh, over there as well. Thank Thanks, Molly. Thank you so much, Netta. What a of pleasure course. to be here. Of course. Thanks for coming. All right. See you all next week or hear you all. Listen to you all. You guys will hear us next week. <laughs> Bye. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Jordan Flower.